You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. So we're going to talk about a couple of these eyewitnesses of Jesus this morning. We're going to talk about uh, Mary and Martha. But before we get started, I'd like just to do a little poll, a little survey. If you were going to be uh, one of those two characters, Mary or Martha, out of the Gospels, which one would you choose? So how many of you would choose to be Mary? Hands raised? All right. How many of you would choose to be Martha? All right. This is like worse than the election polls. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe 10% of the people made it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the third option. You didn't want to vote for either one of those candidates, apparently. I want to be like Jesus. <laughs> so we were, we were kind of split. In fact, I, I might say that more of you chose to be like Martha than like Mary, which to me is a little bit of a surprise. So just curious, any of, the, any of you who who spoke up or who raised your hand to say you wanted to be like Mary. Um, anybody want to give me a reason why? Why do you want to be like Mary? Because I'm like Martha now. All right. <laughs> I want to be like Mary because I am like Martha. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty fair. Anybody else? Why be like Mary? I mean, in the Mary and Martha accounts in the Gospels, who do you think kind of made the better choice? Mary. Anybody think Martha made the better choice? All right. We've got one Martha over here. Apparently we have two Marthas, but one of them wants to be like Mary. So <clears throat> when we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke accounts of Mary and Martha, we're familiar with this story where Jesus has gone to visit his friends. Kind of a quirky family. You know, you've got this, these two sisters uh, no mention of their uh, spouses, if they had any. So like two single women. And they have a brother, uh, Lazarus, who never says a word in the Gospels. Like there is not a single time it says Lazarus said, you know, something. In fact, the complete and utter lack of Lazarus speaking has led some people to speculate that perhaps Lazarus couldn't speak. That perhaps he had... Um, a unique need uh, in the sense that he didn't have the capacity to do so, which is an interesting thought. That's, that's certainly a possibility. It's also possible that maybe he was just an extreme introvert, right? And didn't have, didn't have much to say. He liked to keep his words to himself. But in any case, this is a pretty um, unique family, right? These two women and their brother. And Jesus is apparently pretty close with them. We see them kind of um, hanging out at different times. And the story, again, that we're familiar with is that Jesus has come and uh, Mary is sitting you know, at his feet in the kind of the position of a disciple. She's learning. And Martha's in the kitchen and she's working pretty hard. And all she can think of at the time is uh, Mary should be in here helping me. And instead, she's in there just, you know, sitting around. And so she complains. And that's the story we know. But in the Gospel of John, which is what we're working through with this series, the story about Mary Martha is really quite different. Like the, 
their account that we have of their engagement with Jesus comes in chapter 11. And there, we probably should not call the story Mary and Martha. We should probably call the story Martha and Mary. Because Martha says some pretty remarkable things, both to Jesus and about Jesus. In fact, let me just look here in John chapter 11 and read this uh, short passage about Martha and Mary and, of course, Jesus. This is John chapter 11. I'm picking up in verse 17. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. You see, there's something about Martha. She is relentless. She gets it done. You know, she was getting it done in that other story too, but we're sometimes quick to to think about other things that we might do. But there's something about Martha, particularly in this story in John's gospel, that is completely and utterly remarkable. It is on the lips of Martha that we heard the words, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. Sometimes in gospel stories, we refer to this as the messianic confession. The one who says about Jesus, you are the Christ or you are the Messiah. Because this is, this is big news. This is part of what makes the good news good news. Part of what makes the gospel the gospel is that the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Christ, the one who God would anoint as king, who would come and, and rule Israel, was none other than Jesus of Nazareth. So when Jesus was walking around, it wasn't like people just immediately recognized him. Or even if they did recognize him, they said, oh, look, there's that rabbi from, from Capernaum that I like to listen to. Right? It wasn't like they went from there to say, oh, yeah, obviously he's the Christ. So Jesus came and he was ministering and he was teaching. But then he was also doing other things. He was prophesying. He was kind of speaking on God's behalf. And he was doing these kind of miraculous acts like calming the storm or feeding the multitudes or casting out demons. And at some point in the Gospels, particularly Matthew, Mark, or Luke, Jesus will come to his disciples and he'll say, who do people say that I am? And they respond, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're one of the prophets. Jesus was doing things and saying things that obviously would associate him with one of the Hebrew prophets of old. 
But then he would ask them, who do you say that I am? And in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, it's on the lips of Peter. Peter says, you are the Christ, which is exactly right. You are the Messiah. Now, Peter would often misunderstand what that would mean. So Peter can get an answer right, and then before you can, before you can even turn around, Peter gets an answer wrong. <laughs> so Peter will say, you are the Christ. And then Jesus will say, yes, and as the Christ, I have to die. And Peter will say, no way, no how, nowhere, you know. And then Jesus, you know, gently, gently uh, corrects him by saying, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Maybe not the most gentle thing that Jesus ever said, right? But with each of those stories, with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as we're learning about Jesus, the, the story starts in Galilee. It's not until Peter says, you are the Christ, that the story pivots and heads towards Jerusalem. Because if Jesus is the Christ, if he's the Messiah, then he has to go to Jerusalem, right? If he's the king, he's got to be on the throne. You have to go to the capital. It'd be like being elected governor of, of Florida and never going to Tallahassee. It would be like being elected president of the United States and never going to Washington, D.C. If you are the, the um, president-elect, if you are the governor-elect, or in this case, if you are the Christ-elect, where do you have to go, right? You go to the Capitol, and that's exactly how the story goes. But in John's gospel, it's not on the lips of Peter. Like, you never hear Peter say, you are the Christ. In John's gospel, John, uh, Jesus has been doing all these things. You know, he's turned the water into wine, and he's met with Nicodemus, and he's met with the woman at the well. He's met with the, the man that was paralyzed, He's uh, met with the man who was born blind. And all these different folks he's meeting with, and he's, he's heard that Lazarus was sick. That's, that's another story. It's kind of before this, but he doesn't do anything about it, right? Lazarus is sick, and they just hang out in Galilee. And then they hear that Lazarus is dead, and he's like, well, let's go. We've got to, you know. Our lives stop when, when the most horrific things take place. When there's tragedy, when there's someone that we love um, goes to be with the Lord, we, we put our life on pause and we, we go and we be with our friends and family. So now Jesus is moving. He's coming down. He gets, he's not even in Bethany yet, right? When Jesus arrived, uh, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. So Jesus hasn't even gotten to Bethany yet. She just hears he's on his way, and she goes to meet him. That is already a pretty significant statement of faith. That she's moving towards Jesus. I mean, most of the time, it seems that Jesus is moving toward others, but not with Martha. She moves toward him. And then she says this, which is also a remarkable statement of faith, really, if you think about it. I mean, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, that might sound a bit accusatory. Like, where have you been? You know, had you not heard? Lazarus. You know, poor Lazarus. He doesn't say anything. You know, Lazarus, my brother, your friend. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Jesus is here, and, and he's like, yes, your brother will rise again. Martha is not too impressed. My brother will rise again. She says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. We say this sometimes to people in the midst of their struggles, right? In their, in their darkest hour, instead of just being quiet, which might be the best thing, we try to add some words to it that's going to make it right. So someone's family member has died, and we say, well, angel just, the, heaven just needed another angel. Or, or we say something like, well, won't it be great when we're all together again? That's, that's not very comforting. Let me, let me just help you, a little pastoral one-on-one here. Don't say that. <laughs> Those words don't help people in the midst of their struggles. If you don't know what to say, then don't say anything. Just be present. Jesus says he'll rise again, and she's like, <laughs> I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. But what, what about now? Jesus' response then is, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then with a remarkable amount of faith, faith perhaps that she didn't just kind of um, manufacture in herself, right? The type of faith that seems to be given to us, the type of faith that I think was given to Peter, when Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, right? This remarkable, miraculous, divine, given faith. She says, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who's coming into the world. Let's read a little further here. When Jesus had said this, she, Martha, went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, so he's still not even in Bethany yet, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with Mary in their house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is exactly the same words that Martha had said earlier. Mary and Martha, I think, are more alike than what we sometimes think of them. Right? We think of them in the ways that, oh, Martha's the worker and Mary's the learner. You know, Martha's kind of getting things done, but Mary's the one doing her devotions. Yeah. But I think these sisters as often sisters who live together uh, do, right? They're more alike than they are different. And I think if we were to find ourselves in this story, as I open us up today, I ask, you know, would you rather be like 
uh, Mary or would you rather be like Martha? Um, maybe sometimes that's too much of bifurcation. Maybe all of us have within us some part that's like Martha. And maybe all of us have within us some part that's like Mary. And maybe even the majority of that is something that they both share in common, that they both have faith, right? They both trust Jesus. They both said, word for word, the same confession, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, of course, this begs a lot of questions for our lives because we still struggle. Uh, Bad things still do happen. It rains on the just and the unjust. We live in a world where sometimes people get healed and we can celebrate, and other times they're not healed, and we what? We care for them. Right? If, we let, if we fail to do that, right, then we, we fail to kind of follow Jesus. Look, Jesus is not one who's untouched by sadness. God is not someone who is untouched by suffering. Our God lost his only son. He died on a cross. That's a horrific thing to say. And you can, you can kind of shortchange that story and say, well, he knew something else would happen at some other time, yada, yada, that something was you know, going to happen. But you'd be doing the same thing I just said earlier we ought not to in the midst of darkness and struggle to be dismissive somehow of someone else's pain. The father watched his son die. That's a horrific thing. Jesus here, Mary comes, to, Mary comes to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In the midst of our struggles, we could say of God, where were you? And we could get kind of accusatory. Could not the same one who opened the eyes of the blind have saved this man? Or we could look at God and see that God is weeping with us. That God is sharing in our struggles. That God has not abandoned us. But that God loves us and cares for us and suffers with us. There's more to this story, of course. There's more to the story. The gospel is not just a story about the crucifixion. The gospel is also a story about the resurrection, about the ascension, about the enthronement, about the second coming, about the final day when God will come and make all things right. So we pray that we might have joy for the things that we see God doing now, And we pray that we might have hope for the things that God will do. And we pray that somehow that hope for what the things that God will do can somehow sustain us 
in the times when, we, when God's not doing what we want God to do. And in the midst of all of that, I pray that at the very least, we can have that confession, Lord, if you had been here. And somehow, maybe, we might even rise through conversation with God to the point where Martha was when she said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, who has come into the world. It's a powerful testimony. We've titled this series, uh, Nothing But the Truth. And it's this idea, you know, of laying your hand on the Bible and raising your other hand and kind of swearing to, to tell the truth, to be a witness. And there are all of these witnesses, of course, in the Gospel of John, Martha and Mary being some of the chief of them. In fact, the one who stands on the witness stand and says that Jesus is the Christ is like a key witness in the story. And our hope is that somehow these stories will inspire us to understand and maybe even reinterpret our own stories and what we're going through in hopes that on the other end, as we kind of come out of these things or come through these things, that we too might have a testimony to tell. The testimony, it doesn't have to be just happy talk. Like I grew up in a church where testimony was an important part of how the church operated. Like people would tell testimonies on a pretty regular basis. But somewhere along the way, we started to change our vocabulary and we no longer called them testimonies. We called them praise reports because somehow we were supposed to be happy about everything. Well, sometimes I don't have a praise report. Sometimes somebody died. I, can't, I don't praise God. I don't praise God for that. And I said, well, praise God in all things, right? That's, that, that's bad theological calculus. Speak the truth. God already knows it. You're not fooling God if you tell some other story. Not to say that we can't praise God when there's something to praise God about, but not every testimony is a praise report. We even then shortened the term praise report to just praise. Has anybody got a praise? It was like short for praise report, which was a substitute for testimony and a poor substitute for testimony. Because with the testimony, you could get up and you could talk about what God has done. You could talk about how you were waiting for God to do something. You could talk about how you have hope that God might do something because your current situation is such that you don't feel it, that you can't see it, that at best you can say, Lord, if you had been here. That's the truth of the gospel. And it's that, it's that level of, of relationship and authenticity and vulnerability that I think we need to have with God, and we do our very best here at Oasis to try and cultivate So we baptize and we marry and we bury and we do those things that churches do. And we hear about good times and we hear about tough times. And when it's done, 
we come to the table. Even at a funeral, when it's done, you come to the table. You eat with your brothers and sisters and family and friends that you hadn't seen in a while. Because the table is that thing that kind of holds us together. It brings us together. It reminds us of who we are. It prevents us from forgetting to thinking somehow we're alone in this game. Or it's just me and God even. We pray our Father who art in heaven, not my Father. We pray, give us our daily bread, not just give me. Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. That doesn't just mean I want forgiveness for my sins while you get forgiveness for yours. But the sins that we collectively hold together even. It's because we're a family. It's because we are the body of Christ. Gretchen, who sang this powerful song for us, is going to come now and she's going to testify. Let's listen to her witness. Thank you, Robbie. My name is Gretchen Suarez Pena, and I'm a playwright. Uh, that song that you heard is called Dear God. It's part of a musical that I wrote called Martha and Mary. It's a modern uh, retelling of the story. It's based in the south of the United States, uh, as if Jesus would have come at our time now. Um, it was actually the last song that I wrote, um, and it was the quickest song that I wrote. It took about an hour to write. Um, at the time, I had friends who were dealing with grief of a spouse who was in the hospital and others who had lost a parent. Uh, and I could go back to my own grief and my own doubts of when things happen and you wonder why God isn't answering you the way that you want him to answer you. Uh, Carol had asked me to come and sing this song since the musical that I wrote was called Martha and Mary. Uh, and this song, Martha sings right after Lazarus has died before Jesus shows up. Um, and in the last two weeks, as I was working on, you know, preparing the song, I've, I had my own set of griefs that came. Uh, I've had a lot of friends who've actually lost some people these last several weeks, but me personally, I've had three. Um, an extended family member of my husband's who passed away, a friend from Miami uh, who was, you know, late 30s, young family, passed away of leukemia that we thought was in remission. And then a dear friend of mine uh, from uh, when I was a teenager, actually the, the gentleman who wrote the music for this piece was his best friend. So these past two weeks I've been grieving because it's too much to have at the same time. I've also had some friends give us some news about possibly their ending marriage. And you know, when you're dealing with the day-to-day -day of working and, 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 and living life and, and, and then dealing with these griefs, you wonder, God, where, where are you in all of this? You know, you see the news headlines and you're wondering, what is going on? Um, and, and Robbie's right, you know, we, we have, we share these testimonies, we do these things and then we come to the table and shortly Mikkel will be coming up to lead us in that. But one of the things that I, that kind of sustained me these last couple weeks was the idea that Faith is not based on our circumstances, um, and that hope, um, we can hope, we, we, like Robbie said, we, that hope can sustain us in these hard times. But there's actually a quote from um, C.S. Lewis's The Horseman's Boy, which is part of the Narnia series, and it said, Aslan says uh, to the girl, I, t I tell you your story. I, I can't tell you everybody else's story. And so that has been a, a sense of hope for me, like, Okay, you're telling me my story. I will respond and be faithful to that. Um, so I encourage you that 
in the midst of the headlines and the trauma and the grief um, that we, we can turn to the things that sustain us, the hope that sustain us, that Jesus is never, uh, never failing, but that God is telling us our story and that that story will be fulfilled as he sees it fit. And I know that's not always very uh, comforting, but if we get one life, then we get to live it. So um, live it. You know, as I'm kind of hearing this <clears throat> sermon and thinking about this, I, f I feel like it's uh, timely, um, but it's timely in that it's something that I feel like I always need to hear. Like it's not just something that pertains to now. This seems to be kind of the rhythm of my life, and indeed it seems to be kind of the rhythm of the story of Jesus in the Gospels and even throughout the Bible is that kind of God is doing something and we can't see it for what it is. We might kind of catch a glimpse of it in hindsight, but on us, the activity of God is lost. I don't know. I feel like I often <clears throat> make statements like the statements that Mary and Martha both made, which was, God, if only you had done it this way, that I kind of think it should be done. And that, I guess, in and of itself is a statement of faith, but it's a statement of faith in kind of a knowing of how God should work or how God should be or how God should do when God's doing something kind of totally different. And Martha's faith is indeed remarkable, but it's remarkable not because she kind of has an inside track on what God's doing. It's remarkable because she doesn't. <clears throat> Faith is needed not when we know. Faith is needed when we don't know. Just like courage only comes when we're afraid, faith comes when we're lost. Faith comes when we're blind. Faith comes when we're in the dark. Uh, you should have received a card um, as you came in. And um, we're going to read this as a confession together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things visible and invisible. We confess that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. The same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. We confess that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. For us humans and for our salvation, the Son of God came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was born of Mary and became human. We confess that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We confess that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. 
We believe that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We confess that this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. I admit that I don't understand that confession, and I hope to always confess more than I can understand. And I hope today that you can, uh, not of your own strength, not of your own ability to muster, like Robbie said, some kind of faith that we think that we understand, but that we receive from God the gift of faith to confess and to receive more than we could ever hope to understand. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.